Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Imagine um, if someone or people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ literally um, went about business of burning down the house of God. That would be kind of weird, right? The title of today's message is, Are We Burning Down the House? And God's going to be getting into a bit of our business today because um, Jesus likes to do that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. If you have your Bibles, you can open to that. And um, we are in a series sermon on the Mount which is going to be fantastic. And we have hit the body of Jesus' sermon. It's taken all of these weeks. We started months and months ago. It's taken all these weeks to actually start the body. Could you imagine if I actually did like a sermon and it took me weeks to actually get to what I actually wanted to like getting into it? You guys would probably walk out on me, but we don't walk out on Jesus, do we? No, no, no. Matthew 5 verse 21 to 26 says this, You have heard that it is said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha. Everyone say Racha. 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 Chidi, how do you say that? Racha. It's almost like he's spitting, isn't it? That's what it is. It's, it's kind of this thing like I, I spit in your face. That's why you guys are like, I'm in the middle and you guys are out there. Otherwise, it'll be us. <laughs> anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. We're going to talk a little bit about hell. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Does anyone need to leave church at the moment? Because we may find out that some of you guys shouldn't even be here. We all good? All right. That's good. No one needs to go reconcile anything. That's good. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to the court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Today's message, what Jesus is talking about, is very, 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 very easy to understand. Really easy. I mean, I just read that out there. Like, seriously, some of us should probably be like, hightailing it down to someone who's got an offense with us, reconciling and then coming back and you're probably only going to make it for our 5 p.m. service, right? It's pretty black and white, isn't it? This stuff is so easy to understand, really, really hard to implement. Really, really hard. This is one of these, uh, the, these messages as Jesus gets into the body of his message as he really starts firing. It's kind of one of those messages you go and you say, oh, wow. I need to go all the way back to the very first beatitude, bless of the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This makes me go to my knees and say, God, I am bankrupt before you. Um, that's just me. Anyone else? Anyone else got some anger issues here today? Mitch has got some anger issues. That's why he's on the drums. <laughs> Great therapy. Well, this section, as I was saying, as he's getting into his body of, of this sermon, 
Um, this is the first section that really falls out of um, this, this huge doorway which um, Jesus has opened up. We've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Um, Matthew 5 verse 17 says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And obviously, as Jesus is he's going around Galilee, as he's teaching, as he's preaching, there's been some accusations. The way that he is acting, the people he's hanging around, and what he is teaching, the way he's treating people, the way he's treating women, the way he's treating the foreigner, the way he's treating those who are deemed dirty and, and unclean, the way that he's treating certain people and what he's teaching them is, is, is causing some people to point their finger at Jesus and say, you're abolishing the law and the prophets. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, I've come to fulfill them. And as we even move further on here, we're actually going to find now that those who are accusing Jesus of abolishing this, they are the ones who are actually abolishing the law because they are the ones who are not interpreting and not actually fulfilling and walking out the law too well. But that verse is such an important one for the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. And even though I know it's going to take a bit of time, I'm going to show us once again that Bible Project video which actually explains so magnificently what Jesus meant when he says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So why don't you check out Tim Mackey as he explains this integral verse. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah, is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. 
Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Such a good video. I tell you what, we could just watch those videos every week and you'd probably learn more from them than me. No one's going to say amen to that, are you? Yeah, it's true though. What does it mean to be this Jeremiah 31 people? Jesus comes to fulfill the law, opens up a brand new world that we're invited to step into, and we are quite literally supposed to live in this world as Jeremiah 31 people where God's law is not just something we try to do on the external, but it goes deep into our heart. There's a transformation of the heart which we are to live in as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, as this true humanity, as the family of God. Well, um, even though we're a couple of months into our Sermon on, the series, uh, Sermon on the Mount series, Jesus is still in the process of announcing the kingdom, okay? I know it's about two months since we started, you know, blessed are the, pure of, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, but Jesus, at this moment, he is still announcing the kingdom of heaven. He is the king who is calling out and calling forth his kingdom citizens who are now to live in this incredible proleptic way, a Jeremiah 31 covenant uh, way which is now in play. And those of us who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, we are living in between ages. We are living in a, in a place and in a way that actually declares that this kingdom has now arrived. We are the new community, a renewed people. We are outposts of the kingdom of God living in enemy territory. We are locations of resurrection life in the midst of death. We are arenas of new creation set within the present evil age. That is who we are. Is that familiar with everyone? Okay, are you happy being that person? 
Are you happy being like these outposts of life and love and service in the midst of hostility, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of the world that wants to take, take, take? Are you willing to actually and prepared to actually be followers of Jesus Christ, a new citizen, a new community that actually seeks to pour our lives out in a world that is just desperately crying out and being like this little victim mentality, you need to pour into my life because that's the life we're called to follow. This ain't about you. It's not about me. My life is about pouring out everything I have into the service of other people. That's what he's calling us to do. So over the next six weeks, we're going to see a very, very familiar form of speech that Jesus is going to use as he is going to get down and, and uh, real with our hearts. He is going to be um, using a very familiar um, speech that rabbis used in ancient Israel. First, he's going to be articulating a heavy law. If you missed last week, please catch up on that. Uh, last week we talked about heavy and light laws, but he is going to be articulating one of the heavy laws because there was a theological debate about which laws are heavy, which laws are light. So he is taking a heavy law and then giving an articulation or, of the contemporary interpretation of that heavy law. And then he's going to juxtapose the heavy law with a light law in order to let everyone know that these are actually the same laws. And what he's actually going to do, he is actually pulling back the curtain and allowing us to go behind the laws of God to see the heart of God's laws and actually allow that to actually form us and to shape us. And so over the next six weeks, he's going to be exposing, he's going to be addressing, he's going to be talking about things that all of us in this room deal with. He's going to be talking about anger that we all have. Anyone angry? Man, I'm angry. You know, I'm just really... <laughs> I heard this term um, a couple of months ago. It's really familiar with um, those on Twitter. Anyone on Twitter? It's called outrage porn. <laughs> Mate, outrage porn. It's a, it's a real thing. There is so much stuff. You go into the Twitter world. I actually don't engage with Twitter anymore because it is one of the most, it's so much animosity over there. But he's going to be talking about anger. He's going to be going deeper than anger. He's going to be talking about contempt. Contempt that we hold towards our fellow brothers and sisters. You know that contempt when we actually try, in our minds and in our hearts, we actually erase their personhood? Yeah? We assassinate their character? Yeah, I'm not murdering God, but yeah, are you, have you got a murderous attitude? He's going to be going after that. Jesus is going to be talking about lust. Yeah? What about pride? What about our compulsion to manipulate? And to coerce. He's going to be doing this because what he's talking about is that his people, people of this kingdom, we are different people. We are actually supposed to be the true rep like demonstration of humanity. This is who we are. We are people who are to love and to serve. And, and when there are things that pop up in our hearts, Jesus is actually saying it's going to be really, really helpful and beneficial if you deal with that stuff really fast. Really, really fast, so that we can actually be a faithful witness to who we are supposed to be. So Jesus is announcing the kingdom of God, and he's saying the kingdom is here. And anyone who hears the Sermon on the Mount correctly will know that Jesus isn't merely just teaching an ethic in the next um, couple of months as we go through. Jesus isn't merely teaching an ethic. He is actually calling out and gathering an entirely different people. His church, his family, the people of God, we call them 
Christians. He's calling us out. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, come on, you're welcome. Come and step into this brand new world. Don't stay there in darkness. Come into the light. Come and actually live and fulfill the call that you're actually um, supposed to actually have. Come and pick up where Israel left off because the law that is actually deep in our heart, we're supposed to be shaped by that in such a covenantal way, in such a demonstrative way that as we live and as we be and as we are hanging out together, we are literally telling the world, this is what our God is like. Our God is not one who manipulates. Our God is not one who coerces. Our God is not one who has lust or anger or anything like that. Our God is one who actually serves and pours himself out. That is what he's doing. He's calling us out. So before we go into that, I thought it might be interesting for us to talk a little bit about hell. Has anyone ever said, let's have the hell talk? You guys are very quiet today. Is that because we're going to talk about the hell talk? What Jesus is going to do here is very, very interesting because before he goes, he's going to interpret the law, but what he's going to do is actually going to let us know what will happen if we don't live this kingdom life, if we don't live the kingdom way. And there is an immediate and future threat. It's immediate and future that quite literally we will burn the house down. If there are things in our hearts and things in our minds that go left unchecked. And as we go through this, and as we go through the next six weeks, I don't even need to look at scripture. We all have enough anecdotal evidence to know I've done some things personally, and some people have done some things to me, that we have literally burnt the house of God down. We've done it. And Jesus is saying, my people are to aspire to live in a different way. And even though we live in a world where there is literally fires of hell all around us, there are fires of outrage, there are fires of, of, of anger, there's fires of lust, there are fires all around us, there is a way for God's people to walk in this world and not even smell of smoke. Don't even have the smell of hell on us. And this is the life that he is calling us towards. Matthew 5 verse 22 says this, But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a fire, with a, with a fire, with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. The fire of hell. One thing that we need to unravel a little bit is that we've got at least 500 years of this picture of hell in our mind, which the original audience did not have. All right? For, no, for, for first thing, like, when, when, when Jesus used that word hell, the word's Gehenna. The two words used for hell, Hades and Gehenna. Hades is the grave. Gehenna was a place, it was a location, a literal physical location. As Jesus is saying, the fire of Gehenna, in their minds, they already know there's a location. We know where Gehenna is. We know where Gehenna is. It's like 135 kilometers down the road. It was this valley on the south side of Jerusalem. Go out and talk to Chitty. Chitty's literally, you would, have taught, you would have walked through hell. You probably got pictures of hell on your phone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was a, it's a literal place that he's talking about. It, they knew it was on the valley of the south side, outside of the walls. Interestingly enough, um, that, that word becomes um, symbolic for, for future judgment. But even in the book of Revelation, guess where hell is? Outside the city gates. It's the same picture, picture and stuff that's going on. 
It was a physical location that had a huge history. A history of injustice and a history of idolatry. Its original name was the Valley of Binhin, and you can um, read through Second Chronicles and you can get a bit of an insight into um, this place. But it was a place where, where Israel was at its absolute worst. They did things in this valley, in this hell. It was a place that Israel went um, in order to cheat on God. This is the place of unfaithfulness to God. They literally went to this place to be unfaithful to God. It's the place where Israel went out in order to kill two other gods. It was a place of idolatry and injustice because those two things are linked. Anything, anytime you think about idolatry, worshipping any god other but the true God, guess what? Idolatry and injustice is always linked. You go after something other than God, people are going to get hurt along the way. They are always linked, idolatry and injustice. And this is precisely what happened in this, in, in, in this valley. This name Gehenna became synonymous with divine doom and judgment. And in the days of Jesus, it was used as a rubbish tip, but it was burning 24-7. Hence the fires of Gehenna, they never cease, right? It was a place of Israel's unfaithfulness to God and it was a place that, where they were um, doing acts of injustice towards each other. And what was most notable about this place is that the fires that are lit in Gehenna, they were not lit by God, they were lit by man. We light the fire. You know, might be interesting. I don't know if people will rock up, but if we actually did a series on hell, um, it might interest us that we light fires as humanity. But in this place, God doesn't light the fire. Man lit the fire. It's, it's a place that does not bring about a more peaceful society, is the place that brings about a brutal society. It's a place where, where forsaking the ways of God bears the fruit of God's people turning in and turning upon themselves. And whilst the word Gehenna or hell brings with it the image of a future judgment, or let me put this another way, a future consequence of not wanting to live under the reign of Jesus, not wanting to live in the city of God, not wanting to live in the family of God, there is actually a consequence to that because the ways of God are shalom. And if you say, I don't want to live in peace, I don't want to live in shalom, there is literally one only other way to live. And God doesn't cast you to hell. We make a decision. Am I going to live in the city of God or am I going to live outside of the walls of the city of God? Right? That's what the, that's what the scriptures say. We actually do have free will. We can decide to live under the reign of God or not. You know, personally, I'd rather live in the reign of God. Gehenna doesn't sound too great, especially if it's a place of brutality and destruction and people turning in on themselves and turning upon themselves. Right, But even though in our minds we think of a future judgment or future consequence, we need to understand and recognize that when Jesus is using this word in this context, he is also talking about an immediate consequence. That there are fires of hell that are being lit even now. That's what he was doing. Consider James, for instance, which actually directly relates to what we're talking about today. James 3, verse 5 to 6 says this, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes as great boasts 
Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small little spark. Has anyone ever set a light a big forest by a stupid word that's come out of your mouth? Like you let a word out, it's like, oh dear. And we actually even use the words, all hell just broke loose. Have you ever noticed that? We know it, right? Verse 6, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James is talking about this. The way that we speak, the way that we interact, we can build each other up. Yeah, but we can also burn down the house. We can really do that, can't we? <laughs> so Jesus is about to engage in a set of teaching that is really important for anyone who wants to or who doesn't want to literally experience hell on earth. Um, I kind of want that. I don't want hell on earth. Anyone else like that? All right, so I'm going to pay attention. So here's the question. Um, because what's going to happen now in the next six weeks or so? Jesus, who's fulfilled the law and the prophets, he's opened up this brand new world, the kingdom of heaven that we are invited to step into. As we come under the reign of Jesus Christ, as our allegiance to Jesus comes about, there is actually a transformation of our heart. Jeremiah 31. This is actually going to happen. It's not just going to be about trying to do good things. There's actually going to be a transformation and a renovation of our heart that actually desires to do the laws of God, the will of God. And the question is, for all of us here this morning, have you been resisting the renovation of your heart? Have you been resisting it? Because you really can. God may want to cause about a transformation and a renovation of your heart so that Jeremiah 31 paradigm is not just something you read about and say, what a beautiful little scripture. No, that is actually lived and outworked in your life. But we can actually hijack that. And we can actually resist the work of renovation that God wants to bring about in our heart. Matthew 5.21, we're going to kick on with the teaching. You have heard it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, but anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So Jesus starts to interpret the law. And as we said last week, he's going to take a heavy law, don't murder. And then he's going to put that side by side with a light law. You know, hey, we got like, that's a real important one. That one's not so important, you know. And even when you put murder, a murder alongside anger, it seems like, you know, murder's a big one. Anger's not that big, Jesus. I mean, what are you doing? He's using a, a very common strategy and language that rabbis used. He's saying, like, you have heard. That's what rabbi said. And he quotes the um, law and then he brings interpretation. But then he adds the, but I tell you. Now, the but's very unfortunate that we've got that in our translations. It should be, and I tell you. Because Jesus has already said, I've not come to abolish the law. We think the law is bad sometimes. The law is beautiful. The law is wonderful. The law was given for a purpose, but the law got hijacked. It got hijacked. And Jesus is upholding the law. But he's actually given his interpretation. He's given a correct interpretation. He says, the law says, do not murder, and I'm going to tell you something about that. Right? And he starts speaking about a lighter law. We find this lighter law in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 to 18. Some of this might be familiar to um, what you've heard Jesus say now and even later on. Verse 17 says this, Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. 
Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Turns out as Jesus is going to be interpreting the law, he's not going to be saying anything new. All of the stuff has already been said. He is actually bringing about his interpretation. And get this, he is actually, um, he is not standing alongside Moses as he does this. He's actually standing above Moses as he does this. This is a Christological moment. But I tell you, one famous um, philosopher said this, the line separating good and evil passes not between countries, not between classes, not between political parties, but right through the middle of every human heart. Because we can read the heavy laws and I can say, Jesus, you know what? I don't murder, I'm all good. And Jesus just looks at me, smiles in his beautiful, compassionate way. He says, not so fast. Not so fast, Dave. Let's get to the heart of this law. I wonder if you've ever realized in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus starts with anger. Makes it kind of important. He starts with anger. He doesn't start with lust. He doesn't start with turning the other cheek. He doesn't even start with going an extra mile or two. He starts with anger. There's something about anger that's really important for us to contend with and be aware of. Something that is so often unseen, unheard, and so often initially unfelt by those around us, this simmering in our heart. And anger, whether that be righteous anger or toxic anger, is hard to control, isn't it? Like even if you see injustice and there is a righteous anger, I mean Jesus isn't talking about a righteous anger here, but even a righteous anger, that's hard for us to control, isn't it? For a simple reason, I find it hard to control. And, and even when I see things and I get upset and I get angry, I say, that should not happen. I find it hard to hold that because my character is not strong enough to hold anger. My character is not strong enough. God gets angry. Jesus gets angry. They've got much stronger character than me. But when I get angry, oh, most often when I get angry, my I just do not hold it well. I do not hold it well. But even understand this, when Jesus is talking about anger, he's not saying never get angry. He didn't say don't get angry, because that would be impossible. You know? I mean, I talked some things about hell just then, and that might have messed with some of your traditional stuff. I guarantee it did, and it just added to your traditional stuff. And some of you might be angry. So, Dave, it's Okay. We all get angry. But Jesus is actually saying, you need to do something with that anger. And there's actually a specific type of anger that he talks about here. He's giving instruction. Again, uh, but I tell you that anyone who is angry, here it is, angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And this is kind of a big deal because Jesus starts off by saying, anyone who murders is going to be subject to judgment. Anyone who gets angry with a brother or sister is subject to, same word, same judgment, right? It's kind of a big deal that he's talking about. It's this deep kind of anger that you brood over, 
that you play over and over in your mind? Have you ever gotten into a, a loop in your mind and in your heart? It's just like smoldering under the surface and it just keeps playing over and over and over again. Before long, you can't escape it. You're just angry all the time. You know, just angry. And you may be able to hide it for a while. I can hide it for a while. I have to. I'm a pastor. If I rocked up to church, ticked off, you guys would all leave, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, Dave, you put on your happy face right now. No. But isn't that the case? i tell you what's a lot more easier, I've found, to actually deal with the anger, <laughs> to get rid of it. Because I can only put on a mask for so long. And even later on, Jesus is going to be talking about putting on a mask he calls, calls a hypocrisy, Right? But whoever is remaining angry with a brother or sister, this is an issue. This issue of anger that your will is thwarted. You wanted to do this and it just got cut off and you got angry. And Jesus is addressing a doorway that all of us have walked past. And indeed, it is this very same doorway through which murder walks through. The doorway has a name and its name is anger. Anger. So not only is God interested in dealing with our murderous acts, he is equally interested in dealing with our murderous attitudes, the want to attack and to erase a person's character. And like I said, he takes it so seriously, he uses that same word, they'll be subject to judgment. But then Jesus moves on, which is really interesting. In verse 22b, he says, Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be danger of the fire of hell. We've already touched on the fire of hell. Raka, raka. To my understanding, to my study, Chitty might know better as well um, than me, but as far as I can understand, there's no real um, great translation of raka in English. Um, from what I've read, it's like empty-headed. Say, you, you idiot. Um, you, 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 you kind of, it's an insult. It's like, you idiot. My goodness. Uh, how many times have we said that in the car? <laughs> um, someone who insults you like that, they're answerable to the court. And the court he's talking about is the Sanhedrin court, which may seem very distant from us, but the idea was in first um, century Israel is that there was this um, earthly parallel um, with this heavenly reality as well. So when they said the court, the Sanhedrin court, that actually implied there were heavenly implications as well. So you idiot. You know, maybe we'll actually curve our language a little bit in the next couple of weeks. But then he goes even a little bit further and says, anyone who says you fool, you fool goes a little bit more deeper. The, 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 um, the, the word for a fool is more. It's where we get the word moron from. Has anyone called someone a moron? Yeah? Yeah, you moron. <laughs> That's literally you fool. <laughs> this um, idea of you fool, it actually expresses absolute contempt for a person. It's not just an attack on the emptiness of their head. It's an attack on their entire being. It's an attack on their entire character. It's basically saying, I w I'm assassinating your character. I'm erasing who you are. You know? When you murder someone, you're erasing who they are. When you come to this point in your anger and you're calling them, I don't know exactly know what the equivalent today would be, moron might be more of the raka, 
But when you start assassinating and attacking someone's actual being and character, you're erasing them. And Jesus is saying it's not just the act of murder, it's actually the attitude of murder as well that we want to deal with here. And again, he's saying when you're angry with a person, right? It's not like, 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 like there's never going to be a time when you're not angry. Or, or, like, he's not saying you're never going to, like, don't ever be angry. There are times when we certainly get angry with people, right? Any wives here? There are times you get angry, right? What are you going to do with it? And this is what Jesus is talking about because he's talking about kingdom people. He's talking about living uh, in this proleptic kind of way. He's talking about the way that we live should be showing the world this is what God is like. The, the, the way that we, we, we live should be leading to flourishing and all that. And the way that we live should not burn down the house. But so often we burn down the house. We really do. So what he's saying is that when you're angry, there's some things that kingdom people do. All right? He's not saying never be angry because you will get angry. God's given us emotions. We're made in the image of God. God gets angry. Jesus got angry. But when you get angry, we are to respond in a kingdom way, which means that we are supposed to do certain things. And he moves on with the expectation of living under his reign as king. He talks about how we take responsibility and to keep the unity of the spirit. And he says from verse 23, Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, get that. He's not saying you have something against someone else. You get to the point. You come to New Spring Church and there you remember, oh my goodness, this person has something against me. Not that I've got something against the other person. I mean, we'll get to that next. But, but someone's got something against me. Leave your tithe there. Did you bring your tithe, by the way? Am I allowed to say that? Because we get a little bit mixed up. And we actually don't talk very, a lot about money. But this actually says, leave your gift we, 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 we don't like sort of, um, our, our economy is not based on like goats and sheep anymore. Well, unless you're a farmer. But if you come to church and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer, offer you your gift. Now, 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 now get this, get this in your mind. Let's use our imagination a bit. I understand we started this months ago, but this started in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is in Galilee. And now he's talking to this misfit people in Galilee and he starts talking to them about this. Like if you go to the altar, there is only one altar in Jerusalem, or in Israel. It's in Jerusalem. Guess how far away that is? 130 kilometers. And you haven't got a car. It's a three-day walk. And you're taking your goat, right? So you've walked three days. Aren't you glad you don't have to walk three days to get to church today? But you've walked three days. And you go all the way up to the altar. And there at the altar, at the end of 130 kilometers, you remember, stuff me. I think that person hates my guts. God says, you leave the goat there. And you hightail it all the way back. 130 kilometers. Be reconciled with your brother or sister. And guess what you do after that? You hightail it all the way back another 130 kilometers. He's trying to make a point here. 
This is the point he's making. And like it or lump it, our relationship with God is intrinsically connected with my relationship with you. That's it. You can't, like I remember in the early days of this church, seriously, like, like right, I think it was right here, I was like in this job a couple of weeks and I almost saw a punch up with two people in this auditorium. We should have done Sermon on the Mount the first month. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm this newbie. I'm coming in, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Jesus. Like, Jesus, you must hate me. But seriously, if you come to, like, you come to church and you've got, like, 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 like there's, there's animosity. Because we're talking about family here, you see. We're talking about the church of God. We're, 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 we're talking about being this true humanity, the new community, right? So if you come to the house of God, it's almost like Kayla and Jackson fighting in the Ryder house. That's not on. You guys go and sort your business out. And after you sort your business out, and then you come talk to mum and dad. Any other parents like that? That's what Jesus is saying. You got, you got issues, you go sort it out. Go sort it out. And, and it, it actually is a really, um, it's a real serious thing. I'll show you how serious it is for, for those of us who are married, okay? First Peter verse 3 verse 7. This, um, years ago, this, this changed my, um, my, my um, outlook on marriage. <laughs> In the same way, you husbands must give honour to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. You can stuff up your prayers just by not loving your spouse the way you should. Right? Jesus is talking about this stuff. If you come to the altar... Leave your gift there, but make sure you run back, sort it out, then come back, and then you can worship. Like I said, I mean, this is easy to understand, right? Hard to work out. <laughs> so the reality is we can come to church sometimes and, you know what, maybe the most godly place we should actually be is actually at the house or in a coffee shop actually making up with a brother and sister who has something against us. That's what Jesus is saying. So the kingdom lifestyle is reconciliation. When you are angry, there are going to be times when we all get angry. But when you are angry, we want to have the attitude of reconciliation. But not just reconciliation because next Jesus goes a little bit further. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who was taking you to court. Do it while you were still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and your judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, there's a whole bunch of historical stuff. We obviously have no time to go through that. But basically, you add both of these things together, and Jesus is talking about this kingdom lifestyle. There's Jeremiah 31 people who we're supposed to be. He's saying, don't just be reconciled with your brother and sister. Be reconciled quickly. Settle it quickly. Do it fast. Don't let it linger. You know? I've had to learn to try to settle things fast because when it lingers, that's just... Oh, you ever been in that thing where something's just, like, it's just drawn out and it's like, 
It's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. Relationships burnt. Other people know. It's literally burning down the house. And that's why Jesus says, when... He doesn't say, don't get angry. He says, when you get angry with your brother and sister, when you get angry as kingdom people, people, make sure you go and reconcile, but make sure you do it fast. Make sure you do it quickly. In fact, it shouldn't be such a weight that you actually come to church. No, do it before you come to church. You can come here, you can leave your gift here, but make sure you go back, be reconciled, then you come and then you can worship me because our relationship with God is intrinsically connected with the way that we relate with each other see when Jesus said this is the way you should pray our father he was not kidding if we all had the same father we have we are brothers and sisters in Christ which means we need to get on with each other we need to love each other we need to spur each other on and at those moments and those times when we do have issues with each other because we will we have the heart and we have the attitude you know what I, but stuff this I'm going to go and be reconciled with my brother I'm going to be reconciled with my sister and I'm going to do it as quickly as I can and if we do that, we don't burn down a house. How many churches have you seen being burnt down? It's such a practical teaching, this one. Such a practical. So the question again, have you or I ever resisted the renovation of a heart that God is wanting us, wanting to do? Well, as he kicks off the main body of his sermon, he's letting us know that his renovation of the heart looks very similar to this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift and having this posture of life you see having this attitude of life you see and the outworking and the freedom and the liberty that this brings actually shapes who we are as the people of God so there's no simmering smoldering frustrations and angers because we sort of know. I don't know about you but have you ever sat down and really done honest business with someone that you've got an issue with and as you sit and as you talk there's just a melting of the heart and there's like tears and there's like oh I've got my brother back I've got my sister back have you ever experienced that? that's what it's talking about there are walls that can be demolished and taken away simply by going and saying, Trev, you know what? I'm so sorry. Go and run you like, I stuffed up. And she goes, yeah, man, you really stuffed up. But I still love you enough. So often in our world, we look at it with black and white. I did this because they did that. Here's the, here's the deal. Very rarely is the world black and white. More often than not, there's grey. And even though they did that, you did do something. There's grey, it's not black and white. 
at least in my life, someone could really do something really mean towards me. And I can say, no, Lord, that is black and white. And he says, really? So you didn't say that. And you didn't do that. Yeah, but that was like months ago. Wait a minute. There's gray. This is what it means for the family to get on with each other, to love each other. Husbands and wives. There's a lot of gray. Parents and kids. hate it when you have to apologize to your kids especially when she's like 10 years old turning 15 and you know it like Kayla you're wrong daddy was wrong I'm sorry that's what Jesus is doing and if we do that we've got so much better chance Spirit will come and move us, and then we'll be able to 